folks. We got a special uh, archival episode of the Boombasticast with you today. Uh, we wanted to set this up this way, you know, for those that watch the video uh, form of the show. You may have seen uh, this earlier, the BJ McDonald interview uh, supporting the Studio 666 release um, in the theaters, you know what I mean, which was cool. Uh, the flip around, it's now coming out on, uh, you know, the DVD Blu-ray platform, of course, you know what I mean, and, and digital, all that stuff. You know, May 10th, I think, is uh, already passed, but that's when digital hit. And uh, May 24th, that's when you'll be able to get your Blu-rays and your DVDs of this film. So that's something you're definitely going to want to do for shizzle for sure. If you got out there and you've seen it in theaters and enjoyed it, or even if you didn't do none of these things above, you could go on their, uh, their Facebook. They're doing a contest right now uh, to win uh, a glorious autograph poster and um, Blu-ray, Blu-ray and digital. You know what I mean? Both hooking you up deep. Um, very good stuff. You know what I mean? I wonder if the autograph poster have Taylor uh, has Taylor Hawkins' autograph on that. Uh, if so, then I'm sure that's a mighty hefty piece to own of movie memorabilia. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't mind owning something like that myself. But um, hell yeah. So that's cool. If anybody's interested in trying that out, go for the gusto. Um, but we just wanted to pop in. Uh, you're now getting the audio format. At the current time, scheduling was kind of weird. Uh, we weren't doing shows as often. And I think we just released an episode previ- uh, previously that, um, like, maybe a week or so before this. So, like, it was a little ways. Um, so we didn't do the audio as well. We just did the video version of it. But we were saving the uh, audio version because we knew a day would come when we would do the uh, DVD Blu-ray deal. So here it is for y'all. And now we hope y'all enjoy it uh, in the audio end of things strictly. Uh, like I've said before, you know what I mean? That... Uh, even though you get the same interview, you find there's more stuff that you'll find uh, less. We'll say less stuff gets cut out of um, the audio, if you will. You know what I mean? I mean for time with audio, you just kind of let it run. I feel anybody who's listening to uh, an audio version of an episode uh, after watching an episode, uh, they're the true fucking the true the true people pumping the blood in the system. You know what I mean? But uh, cool Bino. So yeah, we always keep a little something new in the audio. So. Hukaraka, ain't that a beautiful thing? So maybe futuristic dealings you'll do. Uh, you'll go back. All your favorite Boombasta cast video interviews. You will go listen to them on audio form, if you please, and be highly entertained, hopefully, um, by the new uh, bits that would, you would hear in it. It's a fantastic thing. You know what I mean? All right, cool. I just wanted to hop in real quick. And uh, drop some drop some uh, Studio 666 knowledge. You know what I mean? Now we got to do the holy water all over the studio. Say some prayers. Um, maybe get Ray Boone in here to cleanse it from this uh, dropping them numbs on you. All right. Enjoy. Today's exclusive interview is with the great BJ McDonald. All right. Director of Studio 666. That is the mark of the beast. But don't put it on your flesh. Put it in your DVD and Blu-ray players. Put it in your eyelids when you go to the theater to watch it. And you'll have a lot of fun. Starring the Foo Fighters, which uh, uh, Whitney Cummings. Lost my mind for a second there. Jeff Garland, Will Forte. Um, great film. Me and the Hawkman went to go see this earlier this week. And we had a lot of fun with it. You know what I mean? Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl is one of those dudes, iconic, 
You know what I mean? I, I, he first popped in the scene with me for Nirvana, of course. Gigantic Nirvana fan. Um, Foo Fighters are good times. You know what I mean? They've been killing it for a long time. Um, and I like the monkeys, you know what I mean? I like, uh, this got a little bit of the monkeys in it. This got some Tenacious D in it. Um, very fun flick. What'd you think of the flick, Hawk? Oh, I loved it. I you mean, loved the it? Thing, yeah, I loved it. Hey, I man. thought it was a lot of fun. I know you loved I mean, it. I'm just giving you a hard time. Always. But always. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I mean, the thing is that, uh, what I really liked about it was it's, you can tell I, I I enjoy the Foo Fighters. I listen to the music, but to be perfectly honest, I, I I never follow them. I mean, as Matt will always give me crap about, I don't. I enjoy music, but I don't like follow bands. I, Very sad. Yeah, I know. I break his heart every single time. But I mean, I've always enjoyed the Foo Fighters, but I I never really like follow the band. I really didn't know them that well. I mean, this was more of a introduction for me to, you know, of course they are playing very uh, variations of themselves. I'm sure they're yeah. not uh, exactly like how they portray they're themselves. They're over the top. You know? Yeah, they, they play themselves over the top. And it was a nice introduction and if one thing it does show me is that they know how to have fun and they like each other. I mean, you can really I mean, they couldn't have done this movie and it wouldn't have come out as good as it did if they didn't love being together and love, you know, you know, working together. Right. And, uh, and that was really showcased and I enjoyed it. I, I was a lot of fun. And I do have to say, I think this movie will go down like Blazing Saddles, where you have Blazing Saddles with the, the uh, famous... Uh, musical uh, f- uh, fart uh, section, little yeah. orchestra here. This will be known as the one movie that has the most uh, kicks to the crotch that's I've true. ever seen. I mean, that come on. True. That is true. That is true. I, and I don't think there's another movie that has as many kicks to the crotch as this one does. But also in one scene. That's correct. It's painful. You'll, you'll get a, a twitching sensation in your nutsack while watching the film because you'll go, Ooh, I know what that feels like. Ooh, I'm glad it ain't happening to me. I'm glad <laughs> Dave Grohl's taking the abuse. Spoiler alert. All right. So with that being said, we're about to dip into the director of Hatchet 3, the director of uh, three of my favorite Slayer music videos of all time. The one and only BJ McDonald. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. You know, so we usually like to start off with like how it all started, so to speak. So, like, when did you catch that bug for horror and, and films? You know what I mean? As a kid, I assume, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally as a kid. It's, I, you know, I've told people before, like, my grandfather was an old actor from back in the day. Um, as a young kid, I'd come back and forth to, to California, like for you know, to their house because I grew up in Florida. Um, basically, you know, I I would go to film sets and always like thought it was pretty interesting stuff to see like him around doing all that. Um, and then like my family, like basically, they were very loose about like me like watching TV or or the things that actually I watched. Like a lot of times now, I see people you know very like you know with their kids are very like aware of what they're watching on TV. There's a lot of crazy stuff. 
my family was not that crazy about that. They just were like, here's HBO. We'll see you later. Yeah. Okay. You know, HBO was like the new, the new jam back then, you know, it's like, like the whole intro with the, the little, the toy models going over the hills and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like I started watching like John Carpenter films, like escape from New York. And like, like you know, I saw heavy metal, the cartoon, like that totally like freaked me out and changed my life. I saw the deep, you know, I saw like all sorts of crazy, you know, you know, chud. I saw, I saw like all these movies like that were, that would come on HBO. And I just thought they were so as a kid, they were frightening, but they were so interesting that I couldn't stop checking them out, you know? And then, and then lo and behold, we have the, the video rental stores with the, with just the box art and everything I would see, like, you know, down to like evil dead Two, Like when you'd see the skull with the eyes looking at you, I was like, well, I don't know even know what this is, but I'm going to check it out. Cause this has got to be kind of rad. Yeah. Um, which got me into Sam Raimi. Got, you know, it's basically like that kind of hold. That's how all my love of horror came up. It was just like a lot of it was box art, seeing like cool imagery and just the way that horror films made me feel. You know, as a kid, like freaked me out, but I loved them. There was like, it was an amusement park ride for me. Like it yeah. just, I couldn't get enough of it. And that's really how my love of horror began, you know, and it just hasn't stopped, you know, and I'm always, I'm, I'm always down to check out all, any and all types of horror films. We appreciate that. Yeah, it's funny. You'll see, like, uh, there's almost like a line in horror where you have, like, your slasher, uh, blood and guts and all that. And then you have, like, you know, your more, if you will, smarter horror movies like, you know, Hereditary and Midsommar and stuff like that. It's funny when you see horror fans that kind of clash like those two. And then you have TV horror, too, because TV horror is huge now as well. You know what I mean? It is. That's the thing. It's like all those films. I love all that stuff i like i just don't stick to like like oh i'm only down with the 80s style or like whatever like i like the hereditaries i like the witch i like i like all those kind of types of movies but like you know like when it comes down to the movie that we just did studio 666 we really we, we gunned more for that feel of what we were trying to do you know you know we weren't trying to make hereditary with the foo fighters right 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 <laughs> you guys were going after that 80s band movie I, type say, vibe. I, I would love to see that i would love to see Hereditary version with the Foo Fighters. Hereditary with the Foo Fighters, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a bit more serious. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, how serious can they really get? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, and look, we all, like, again, like, when we were doing this movie, it was full on. Like, we wanted to keep inside, keep in the vein of their videos, like, the yeah. past, like, funny videos. And we really wanted to make it just more about being a fun film yeah. uh, for people to just enjoy. It's, like, more of, like, to me, it's more of, like, a movie that you see with your friends and you get drinks and get stoned and have a good time watching it. And that's really, like, what, what we wanted to make. Yeah. Now, I know the Foo Fighters never strayed away from acting and, like, being very campy and over-the-top in-the-road music videos, Right. And uh, this, 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 you know, Studio 666, which is great. We went to go see it. It was awesome. Um, originally, it was a Dave Grohl idea, right? It, from his story. Yeah, his, his, it was, he came up with the concept. Um, I guess people had been talking to him before, like, say, you should make a movie. You should make a horror film. He kind of got brushed it off. And then while they were shooting, or while they were uh, recording Medicine at Midnight in the house in Encino, this is very strange. It's the house you see in the movie. It's a very strange oh, house. Um he got the idea. He's like, you know what? Maybe I will do this. So he made a pitch idea, and then he and then he went to his buddies, Jim Rhoda and John Ramsey, who are friends of mine. They're they're producers on Sonic Highways and Sound City. And they're like, hey, I'm, he's like, I'm thinking about doing this thing. You know, like, what do you think? They're like, oh, we got to send this to our friend BJ. You know, he did like the Slayer music videos, and yeah. he was like, oh yeah, check, let's send it to him. So I got a hold of his pitch, 
And then I was like, well, you know what? I think this is cool, but we need to add a little bit more elements to it. And I added like all the backstory of like the, uh, the band, the dream widow band. Um, Cause it originally was just kind of a, the, the caretaker, Greg Knoll character. There was no like shadow people. There was no like mm. lure of the band or the cursed band that you see in the film now. So I added that stuff and then I made a pitch book, a uh, look book um, of how I thought it should look and the vibe of like, how we should shoot it and like the reference to a bunch of directors and, and other movies of how it should all go, in, including the old school band movies. Because if we're working with a band, we should definitely try to make sure we're making a movie that kind of follows that template and and really kind of like tip of the hat to like the Beatles and the Monkees. Yeah. Um, and so we got together with that and he loved it and, and away we went. Yeah, the Beatles and the Monkees definitely... You know, I, I, when I was younger, the, the monkeys was like, uh, uh, before school, they'd play it before school, which was cool. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there was, yeah, there's, I, I still, I couldn't tell you any episodes or any scenarios. <laughs> but I remember watching every single one of those shows and having a great time. It was, it was yeah. just so fun. You know, they were, they were just fun shows. They were a very happy band. They were happy all the time. Yeah, I I can't see any of them, you know, killing each other off because of a cursed book or a curse anything. (laughs) Possession is a hell of a drug. You got to be careful with it. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Once you first try it, you you might not be able to stop. (laughs) I thought this. I thought this film would be a great companion film, double feature with like Tenacious D's Pick a Destiny. Oh yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people wish we would have brought them on. It was funny because there was a time where. We were like, after we got done shooting, I was like, it would be kind of cool to do like an Avengers style ending of, of the movie where, you know, Jack Black and they come to the house, like, and they just find the book. And it's yeah. just like those nods, like, you like it, because we end on the book, you know, in the movie. And then, you know, if we, if we, at the credits, it'd be cool if you just started on that, like during the day, saw, you know, some feet come up and tilt up and it's them. And then they kind of take it and it would just cut. It would be kind of fun. You can have that, uh, what is it? Uh, Jason goes to hell ending where Jack Black's hand comes up and grabs the book or something. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Sadly though, we, we, that, that, the house that we shot at just recently got completely torn down. Oh, no. Gone. Totally gone. Yeah. I, I heard that you had ideas for a sequel. Oh, I got ideas. Oh yeah. I got, I got, I got some good ideas. I can't share those ideas, but of course. I know, I know, I know how to bring it all back and get how to get everybody. I know how to get everybody back. It's, it's, it's a good way to do it. But we've also talked about other genres of like not doing horror, like honestly, like doing something more like a different, like an action film or or something crazy like that, or like a Gilligan's Island type of movie with starring them. So I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> we've been throwing around some ideas. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how this one does, and we'll then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned you know those music videos you did with Slayer that are really cool. They're up on YouTube for anybody who wants to see them. A lot of you know the the, the theatrics in it. You know what I mean? Very cinematic. Yeah. Um, Carrie King, of course, had a cameo in the film. You yep. know what I mean? So, uh, how long, how long do you get the history go back with Slayer? A good, a good, a good bit. Musically, yeah. since I was a kid, like, like since I was you know, in high school, like I, I remember like listening to Slayer and, and really loving their music. It's, it's one of those things where you never, I never in my head ever went, man, I, you know, I'm going to work with Slayer one day. You yeah. know, I, I never once thought that this was ever going to be a thing that ever happened. I just happened to find out that when they were getting ready to, to release the Repentless album, that they wanted to do a music video. And I, and over at Nuclear Blast Records, they were looking, they were, they were talking to a bunch of different horror directors and they said, Hey, can you come in and just talk to us? I was like, yeah, sure. Drove down, met Gerardo who, who runs the place. And, uh, 
He told he goes, well, what would you think? I said, well, I wish I could have planned. I don't, I don't have anything to really tell you or show you right now. I said, but here's what I do have. I said, Slayer's music videos are cool and I love the music. However, I don't think there's a music video that's really portrayed Slayer or like kind of the, it, like the, the speed or the tone of the music or the lyrics or things like that. Old videos are great. I think now because you don't have just MTV and a lot of censorship, you know, now we can actually make a Slayer video that's really, to me, says Slayer. Yeah. So they're like, oh, that's cool. All right. So I went home. They're like, write us some stuff. I wrote two pitches. And one is their video, Repentless, that they did. The other one was for the song, Repentless, but it was a much, it would have had, it would have cost a lot more money. It was like this crazy biker cannibal, like music yeah. video that was out of control. And Carrie loved it. Like he was like, that's so cool. But we didn't have the money for it. So we went with, we, we you know, they loved the, the Repentless idea. And they said, let's hire BJ to do this. And we did repentless. And when that came out, it did. So like people loved that video so much that Gerardo called me and goes, I talked to the guys. Can we, do we want to do two more music videos? So can we make a prequel and a sequel? So I took that repentless video of the jail cell. And then I had to write a story about the, about what happens before. And then, and then I had to make a finale story. So it was fun. So it was, I, my, my history with them is just from the repentless album starting at 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great videos. Now, with with uh, Carrie's name Krug, is that a is that a throwback to Freddy Krueger? I always thought it was a throwback to to, to Freddy Krueger, and then okay. when I read the script, I thought that because I didn't write it. Um, but the character Krueger is like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. But come to find out, I think the writers actually do have a friend who they kind of modeled it after, whose name is Krug. Okay. That's, that's what I heard. But I did when I read the script, I was like, oh, that's funny because you know it's that they're they're going after Krug for Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah, and then his. You know, spoiler alert, he, he doesn't quite complete the film, doesn't make the film, and his death was kind of a little Kruger-like, I felt, you know what I mean? A little bit, a little bit, yep, yep, it definitely was. <laughs> did, uh, did any of the band members have any reservations? I know that they, they did the music videos and stuff, but a movie such a massive undertaking, you know, was it a, was there any reservations about it? You know, I think I think there was a little bit of nervousness at, at the beginning of like the whole thing of like before, like when we we're in pre-pro talking about the things or I think, I, you know, I, no one ever really said it, but I could feel a little bit of it. And I, I think that there was a little bit, you know, but like once we started shooting and everybody started going, oh, no, OK, this is how it works. Or, you know, because music videos are easy. You, yeah. rip, you basically you, you, you make a, th- a whole situation and it's just looks, you know, no one's talking. It's all run by the music. Movies, on the other hand, it's all dialogue-driven and emotion-driven, and, and, and the characters or the people who are playing themselves have to drive the force and, and be believable. Um, and I think that was the scariest part. But once we got in there and I said, hey, you know, guys, just be yourselves because this is who you are. You know, we, if we take it that way, it's going to be so much easier. And it kind of, it kind of loosened everybody up, and, and they, got, they had a lot more fun with it. So once we got that vibe going in, like, the first week, uh, everybody started having so much fun. And then we, then we knew what we were really doing at that point. We approached, I approached it more in that world, like let them be really who they are. Yeah. And there's a lot of really cool cameos in it. You know, uh, Will Forte is in there, you know, great, Will. fantastic. Um, you worked with him uh, on MacGruber years ago. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you guys like buddy up then and just kind of wait for the perfect opportunity to work together or how'd that come about? I met Will on MacGruber, uh, we all became friends at that point. And Will's such a cool dude, such yeah. a nice, like warm guy. Like he's actually just a bud. 
Um, and, and so I kept in touch with them. And then I would see him every now and then on some other movies that I'd worked on. He would always come in just cause I kind of ran around with the, like as a camera operator with sort of that crowd a bit. Yeah. So when, when you see Will, it's like, Oh, what's up, man? You know, it's like Jorman Tacone, the Lonely Island guys and, and, the, and Seth Rogen and those guys, I kind of, I, I worked a lot with them and they all kind of like, they all kind of know each other. So over the years, we just kind of all kept in contact. And then when this part came up, I was just like, you know, it'd be rad. It's just, is let's see if Will will come do it. So I just called him and said, Hey dude, like, you know, can you, there's this one part, I know you're busy. Can you come out and play this one character? And, and he, like his schedule is so busy, but he's like, Oh, let me make it work. He like muscled around a couple things and we got Will. And then, and like super pumped about that. He's just, he's so fun to work with and hilarious to watch. He looks like a lot of fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's um, yeah. Was there, was improv, was it, it was improv big on the set or is it, did it, does it go back and forth between whoever you're dealing with the acting? No, improv, what, like, it, we made it more about the improv when it came down to it because it just was, again, you know, I think it made everybody a little more comfortable. So that's another reason why we had, like, Whitney Cummings and Jeff yes. Garland, Will Forte and Leslie Grossman um, because we knew that we, that they could go off the script, you know, stay go off the script but also making sure we stayed on, you know, topic uh, and, and made sure we, you know, we didn't go – we didn't, like, totally drive the train to some other thing and have to do a whole rewrite. Um, and, and so, you know, improv was a big deal in it. You know, yes, we followed the script and we followed exactly what was supposed to happen, but I let more of a free reign thing go on and on. As long as they were in the, in the, in the mode and in the mood and in, in, in like, like emotionally there, like what was going on during that scene, you know, I let them kind of just say what they would say to each other. And it's, it was more fun doing it that way. Cause it's funny to watch the guys interact like that. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah, all the guys they 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 they're natural up there, and they they, they play off each other very well. You know, it has that monkeys vibe, definitely. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what we're going for, yeah, for sure. It's an ensemble cast. You know, that's it's it's difficult to do when you have a handful of main characters. You know what I mean? That gets tricky. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's, and that's the thing. It's like when you're when when you're not used to acting. It's like we also had to kind of make sure that everybody had the right. You know, with continuity, that's another thing. You have to make sure they're try to at least hit their marks as best as they can. Or, or like, you know, if they're holding like, you know, a phone in this hand and, and then like the next take, they all, all of a sudden put it in this other hand, we'd have to be like, oh, Hey, you know, you got to put the phone in your right. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was a big learning experience for them too. And it was kind of, it's kind of adorable to watch like, like rock and roll guys that know, and, and they're so good at what they do, like actually learning how films are actually made, like the filmmaking technique. Because music yeah. videos, again, I said, it's like one or two day shoots. You get in and get out. This is a whole nother beast. For sure. Yeah, yeah it's tricky. It is. It's a lot, you know what I mean? Mainly night shoots, it felt like, for a lot of the action stuff, at least. You know what I mean? Which is adds a whole different... As a camera operator, you know, that's a whole nightmare itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was... It was... It was um, it wasn't actually too many nights. Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't too bad of nights. We we basically had, I don't know. Uh, I would say we had about a week of nights out of the whole thing. It wasn't. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, and in some of the scenes, we'd do splits. Like we'd shoot like you know from noon to like midnight that night. So I hate doing nights. I I can't stand shooting nights. And uh, well, but sometimes you can't avoid it. Like the whole ending sequence. Yes, that those were all nights. We like we had to have full nights to get that whole thing done. Yeah. So it wasn't too bad, though. There was a lot of Easter eggs in there that were really fun, you know, throwback to horror and stuff like that. 
yeah, like yeah. The, you know the Evil Dead with the the reel to reel. That was very you know that got me. But the yep. biggest pop that I think I had of an Easter egg was uh, at one point in the film. I won't say where, but there's the Foo Fighters gun from the first album, and. Yeah, uh, I got excited when I seen that in the movie. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, yeah, that no, we, cool. yeah, that was that was a we 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 brought that out from Dave's Dave's place and we had to put had to, you know when you're doing all those kind of cool things, you have to give you got to give like the Foo fans something. There was other yeah. stuff in that basement. There was other props in there that we that were from like the Everlong video, um, but we just you know when you're cutting a movie, you can only put in so many things. And honestly, the ray gun uh, is is to me, very iconic. Like people, when you see that, you go, "Oh, hey, there it is!" Because yeah. the other stuff was like a two by four or something like that. It was like wasn't that wasn't that uh, noticeable? Yeah. But the ray gun, yeah, like that's yeah, that was that's a good one. That's very cool that Dave still has the gun because I always figured it was just like stock f- footage photo that they bought for the album to make. They got the they actually have the gun. They have the gun, and cool. if, if you go if you go to Dave's if you go to six oh six or whatever, it's like kind of amazing, like walk through time because Dave does keep a lot of stuff. He's very sentimental about things. Yeah, so it's kind of neat, like when you're walking and seeing like the rec- like all the records on the walls of what they did, and like all like and not just Foo Fighter stuff, like doing all the you know all the other bands and all the bands that he's recorded o- over at six oh six, and just it's like a walk through time. And it's also funny because they also collect fan art. So like yeah. people that go to shows and things that like like draw paintings of them and stuff, they have a ton of that like in their studio. Like it's all over the place. It's, it's so it's like it's cool because they still love it. They're not jaded. They're still like very into it, and they're still like they always have a good time with what they're doing. And they're you know they they collect stuff from from the fans. It's kind of great. Yeah, they seem very cool. I mean, they got to be super cool in order because the movie a little bit pokes fun at themselves a little bit. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. It's, As, it's. I mean, full full bore makes fun of themselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. They knew they were, They knew what they were getting into. You know, as as they approach that tenth album, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, and uh, Jeff Garland, of course, coming in. That's fantastic, and he he really plays a stu- like a like a record executive. All the way to the end, perfectly. You know what I mean. He, he, he played uh, the part perfectly. Yeah, uh, a I lot of fun. All the record execs are, are, are either possessed or the devil themselves. So you know, yeah, right? Oh man, <laughs> yeah. He 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 pulled it out pretty good. But he and he knew what he was doing when we were doing that role too. He he hammed that up really good. He was great. And then like like to, like I'm trying not to spoil anything because the movie's still in theaters and everybody go check it out. Um, but there's a part when he gets a little more sinister than 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 other parts, and you can really see it in his face. You know what I mean? Like, I'm always a big fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, he's 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 very good with that. So we were we were lucky to have him. You know, we were lucky to get Jenna Ortega. I mean, that was like, it's crazy because when we got her, it was funny because me and my wife were you know because the movie I wanted to open the movie like extremely like not like what people would think it is going to be. I wanted to make it like because I think everybody thought when the movie started it's going to be like the Everlong video or it's going to be really yeah. fun. I wanted to make it more of like a dark, like, Whoa, what are we getting into kind of a deal? And I remember like going, we need somebody really strong to open this movie. We need whatever actress we get. She has to be really emotionally strong. Yeah. And we went through, uh, you know, Wendy, our casting, uh, agent, she sent us a bunch of audition tapes. Me and my wife sat through and just watched a bunch and a bunch. There's some really good ones. Um, but then we saw Jenna and we saw a performance from you and, I was like, right then, I was like, we got to get her. This this girl's fantastic. And then little did we know, after we had shot the movie, she's now, she's in Scream, and now she's doing Tim Burton's Adam's Family, like, doing Wednesday. And uh, 
I mean, like, again, she was such a cool, like, person to work with. We were so lucky. Like, I hope, I really hope that I get to work with her, like, and have a more of a part for her on the next one because she is really, like, a, she's a wonderful person and she's a great actress. So we were lucky. Yeah. Now, your wife, Adrian, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. She did some makeup effects on the work, uh, on the film? I met my wife because she does makeup, like, yeah. years ago. Um, and basically she helps me out with like anything, any projects I do. She did all, she, you know, worked with Tony Garter, uh, on the Slayer stuff. She's worked with Tony on other things too. She's worked with a bunch of like other makeup artists like Chris Nelson. And, and, you know, we, we've, we just kind of know the makeup people, but yeah, she, she came in and worked on the movie also with us and did, and did a bunch of makeup on, on it, you know, as well as helping me out offset, like at home, I would, you know, come home and be like, well, I'm thinking about this idea. What do you think? I riff it off of her. And like, you know, I take, I take her suggestions and, and her, her ideas too, like to heart. And, you know, she's my partner. Oh, for sure. For a supportive partner is a great partner. Oh yeah. She's got to put, she's got to put up with me when I'm, when I'm totally freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably, a, probably a harder job than anything else. The than anything we have to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The most yeah. important job going down. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Special effects were phenomenal in this movie. You know what I mean? You guys didn't skimp out in the slightest on that, which I thought was great because when you have a movie that's kind of, it's a comedy horror, you know what I mean? A lot of comedy in there. You kind of worry, you know, they're going to skimp on the effect, just throw a little bit of blood, you know, to get the day going. But you guys killed it with that. Yeah. Again, that's going back into the tone of what we were trying to do, because if you're trying to make an old school band movie like this one, and it's like, like having the band feel, but, it's a horror film. You have to mix that with practical effects. You have to make it feel like the third Friday 13th or the Halloween's or, you know, nightmare on Elm street kind of vibe and the blood and gore. Like if you tried to cheap out on that and and do just all CG blood and things, it would, it would, it nothing, it wouldn't have worked, you know? And that was the whole, like we planned that going in is that it has to be practical effects. And then we had Tony Gardner um, who we talked to and we said, Hey, you know, Here's here's all all the things that are going to happen in the movie. What what things have you as in your whole career, Tony, from doing everybody else's movies? What are some kills that you want to do, Tony Gardner, the makeup effects guy? What do you want to do? And he had all these ideas, and we took those ideas, and that's what we incorporated into the kills and like why they came about. So we basically also let Tony kind of like live his dream yeah. with, with the kills because he was going to make the effects also, and and it was just fun because you know he got to do what he wanted to do. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, there was some CGI vomit in there. A lot of vomit. So you got to <laughs> yeah. love the vomit. Vomit. Yep. Oh, yeah. There, there's a ton of that. <laughs> and we kept it at a cheese factor because we knew what we were doing. It's supposed yeah, yeah. to be funny looking. It's supposed to be a bit cheap looking. I mean, it's yeah. not... The thing is, it's not CGI. It's not CG puke. Like, it's just it's just plates. It's elements. So, okay. we, so I would... You know, we lock a camera off. Um you have Dave do the whole thing, and he's like, like playing the guitar. Then he turns his mouth and goes, ah, you know, like that. And then he, we, once we get the take we like, we're like, all right. He steps off the set. I do a, an overlay, and then we get the special effects guys in there, and they bring in a giant hose that just splatters puke against the wall, or like, or shoots the puke out. Um, and so, the thing is with the movie, most of the stuff you saw, even the shadow people, the faces when the mouths open, that's. Not CG. It's actually we had people in suits with the red eyes, and they were pitch black, and they were actually people there in these suits, but they didn't have the the mouths didn't work. They, we didn't have the budget for that. Yeah. Tony did make one head uh, that we put against green screen, and we would open the mouth up and down, and like do it different speeds, and we turn it like three quarters, then profile, and do it the other ways. And so when you see this, the the shadow people in the movie, 
the faces on them aren't CG. They actually, we took the face from that plate, from the, the mandible mouth moving head, and we placed it on the actual people that are in the shot. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, CG was used, but it was practical laid on, laid on top of practical, just like the vomit. That's the way so to maybe, do it. Yeah, exactly. You, you, that's the only way to do it. There's a couple of little, there's a couple of little enhanced blood shots that we did in there that are CG, but other than that, for the most part, almost all. I mean, the blood, the big blood gags, that's all real. Word. Do you know how many yeah. gallons you guys went through? There's one scene that is insane, and we literally had these giants, like I mean, they were huge, these huge, like black canisters that were like four foot by four foot high, and we had a couple of them. And they were completely filled with blood. And then we had these huge, like, turbo jets, uh, like, that had to, like, do what it did. Um, and at the end of the day, after we shot that scene, uh, we, as I was walking to my car uh, in Encino, there was, a, there was actually a river of blood going down the roads of Encino of, like, <laughs> of, of the effect that we had just done. Like, and it was just, like, this red river flowing by, like, all these, like, really expensive homes. You kind of look down at that and you just go... All right, that's a but I guess bucket list. We did that, like we we just bloodied up in you know, it's kind of rad. It's like a Pink Floyd funny. music video, a little bit. Oh yeah, totally. Get the, the wall going. Yeah, and and that we had to re we had to build half the set too because we shot the the beginning of that sequence actually in the guest house of that property, and then we were like trying to figure out like, all right, how are we going to keep this whole set clean? Like like once we're done, like how are we going to do this? We came up with all these ideas, but it was like, if we do this practically in this set, it's actually going to ruin the house. It's going to totally destroy it. So we actually had to build like a giant three-walled facade of what we, like to the T of like exactly what it was. And we had to build that in the parking lot. And that's the only way we could do it. Because once we did that effect, it was like, it was insane how much, how much blood was flying. Now, as a director, do you like to, before the, the film shoots, do you like to bring people into like a screening room to watch horror or give them like a list of the vibe that you're going for or films that, you know, they should see, like must see horror films for anybody? And actually, I, with the, the dudes of Foo Fighters, are they typically horror fans or are they just, they going for the ride type deal? I know Dave is. I know yeah. Dave, like he's a horror fan. You know, I honestly, Usually, when I'm directing stuff, and if there's something I want to like, I want to get a vibe. I'll I'll send a, a like a recommendation saying this is the vibe we're going for. Right. Like when we did the Slayer video, you against you, I I was like talking to my buddy Jason, who's in that, and some of the other actors. Like we're this is basically the John Wick version of what we did. So let's so just watch John Wick, you know. And so that was like that was kind of a play on that. This movie with Studio Six Six Six, I didn't want the guys to get any kind of pre like preconditioned idea of like what they should do. I just said, we're going to come in. You guys are going to be who you are. And like, don't like, I didn't want to ruin anything or I didn't want them to feel like they needed to emulate somebody else's performance or go or like really feel like we're doing that vibe. I wanted them to come in and be like, Oh, what are we doing? Oh, this is great. We're ourselves. So this one was different. I didn't want to, I didn't want anybody to really like get any kind of like idea of what we were doing and just kind of took them out of the you know moment. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good deal. Yeah. Uh, Living legend, Jonathan Carpenter. Woo! Right. Gigantor, dude. Not only a great cameo, but the yeah. title, the opening sequence, fantastic. You know what I mean? You got any cool stories of working with him? I mean, honestly, like, it was one of the, I don't get, you know, I've been doing movies for over two decades, and I rarely, like, hardly ever get, like, starstruck. Because yeah. I'm just, it's, it's become like, it's like a mechanic that works on a car every day. And they, and yeah. someone goes, Oh, you worked on this cool car. I love that car. And they're like, whatever. 
for me, it's like the kind of same thing, like where I work, I work with actors a lot and it's just the job and, you know, you enjoy the good ones, you hate the bad ones. Um, but for me, the John Carpenter thing, going back to talking about how I grew up, you know, watching these movies, me and Dave were talking about the music and the directors we loved and John Carpenter always did come up. And that's why we pursued John to see if he would actually, you know, do the, the score. We never, we didn't ask him to be in the movie. We just asked him if he would actually like work and help us out with like a theme song just so we could do it. Um, and he was super down for that because Dave helped out Daniel Davies back in the day. Um, and, and, uh, He's like, yeah, I'll do that stuff. And then we kind of took it one step further and said, well, do you mind coming in and like just playing this one really small part, you know, just because it'll be cool. And he's like, of course I'll come in. So he, he came in and I, and honestly for me, when he did that, I was kind of like, you know, it's one thing when you email back and forth to John Carpenter and say, thank you so much. The theme song you wrote is so cool, blah, blah, blah. It's another thing when he shows up on set and then I, I'm supposed to direct John Carpenter, you know, like, and it's like, how do you even do that? Yeah. How is someone, how is a director supposed to direct like one of the most badass directors of all time who, you, that basically made you like, like the movies that you did. Yeah. So I did get a bit starstruck, uh, when, when he came in, but he was yeah. so nice and so cool. And in like, and everything was relaxed. Like after he got in there, I take a couple breaths, but it was, it was rad. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm just honored that he did it. And, and that that's yeah. like now a part of something that I've done in my life. Like I take those moments and I really like cherish them always. Like when, when you get a moment like that, that really means something so like heartfelt and meaningful to you because of what you've grown up with. Yeah. The universes of cross paths. That was how I felt. Yeah, you know it was pretty mean? killer. It was pretty yeah. killer. Yeah, and then we had Roy Moyorga who did the score, yeah. um, and Roy was in Stone Sour. He played drummer, and also he's in Ministry right now. But Roy's a big John Carpenter fan, also. So once we got the theme song from Carpenter and, and from from John Cody and Daniel, Roy basically took that theme song to pepper it throughout the rest of the movie, but also going on with his score, what we discussed. So we kind of started the movie very Carpenter esque yeah. with to go in line with that. But as the movie progresses and gets bigger and bigger, the score also gets bigger and bigger. You start hearing more of like a, like a, symf- sim- like a symphony kind of su- sound, like a real big, like action movie kind of score. Yeah. We, we, we like mesh that. He, and, and Roy did a killer job with that thing. So I'm, I'm really excited with the two very awesome composers that I got to work with. Yeah. The composers did a great job, but it's, 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 it's a difficult task because you're, you're having the horror elements, but you got to have some comedy elements in there too. So it's quite a, it's quite a feat. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. And the thing is with, with movies, in my opinion, score is so important because it does, it's not only with the camera work that tells the story, what's going on visually, but the feel of what's happening in the scenes that you have going on, the score really can make or break that. It really can. And when you get somebody that's so good and realizes what you're trying to portray in the sequence and the, and, and what's happening on, on the screen at that time, it's, it makes a huge difference because they know like the feel of the music. So it's a, you know, score is very important to me. Yeah. Now uh, the all the dream widow music that's mm-hmm. in it, it's all the Foo Fighters made that, right? Dave made that, and Dave and did. Dave yeah. did, yeah, because we because you know the movie is all it's all about this this song Lacrimus to Ebrius, and yeah. the song had to have all these crazy different change ups. So I actually told Dave like we need a song that's like pretty long, you know. So Dave's like, I'll go home, I'll I'll, I'll record it, and like he he had this like whole thing that he made. It was like a 12, the song's actually 12 minutes long from front yeah. to back. It really is like when you have it, I hope that's, I hope it comes out someday. Like I think it is actually, it's going to be coming out soon, but that song is 12 minutes, but it just goes crazy. It goes from like stoner metal to like punk rock to like black metal to death metal to acoustic back to stoner metal to nineties style. 
and it just is all over the place because it's, it's portraying Dave like kind of trying to figure out this whole thing. And it's like the demonic you know forces in his head and the song that's kind of coming out. Yeah. Um, and it's also like what the the original band Dream Widow was trying to also come up with too. It kind of gets it the spirit gets into Dave, and that's what what they're still trying to continue what's happening. Yeah. And then the guys obviously had to learn the song like once we got it on set. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty cool. You were like the perfect dude to direct this, you know what I mean? With the that you know the heavy metal with the music videos, Hatchet Three, of course, which I think Hatchet Three is the, the best put together Hatchet film. No oh, offense, you. no offense to Adam Green, you thank know you. what I mean? <laughs> but oh, I appreciate I, that. Hey, I, I remember watching that and being like, "There's something about this movie that is above the other ones." You know what I mean? Uh, I feel but, like that movie going off on that is like my whole thing is I couldn't break. I couldn't change what Adam wanted to do with like, I, honestly, I wanted to go darker, like a darker story with Victor Crowley. I wanted to kind of get out of like the cheesiness of it. But at, at the same time, you can't get out of that once it's already been established. And you know, it, you, the, the, the people that want to see that movie want to keep that kind of vibe, you know, and I, I wanted to make it darker. So my change in the whole thing was we'll keep that whole storyline and kind of the sensibilities and the, and the silliness of it. But I wanted to make the movie way more cinematic I wanted to make it feel like a bigger movie, even though it was the smallest budget of them all. Um, you know, it, even to the decision to actually shoot the movie in Louisiana, you know, because the other two we shot, like the first one we shot, like some, we did some opening stuff at, it actually in, in New Orleans for like a couple of days and the rest of it was shot out in the desert, you know? So like we, we were out in, in Sable Ranch and there was just fake moss that threw in the trees at night and you can't tell because it's dark out and you, you don't know where you're at. And the other part two is all shot for the most part. We shot a little bit of stuff in New Orleans, um, just so you had a little bit of that. But then, like maybe another four days of something like shooting, just like plate shot, like the opening when they're outside. And then we shot the rest of that on a soundstage, and we literally walked around the same tree like over and over because we it was just a stage where you just move plants around. It's kind of like when they did the descent where they just move boulders. You know, yeah. they were on the stage, they just move boulders, and it's like, oh, you're in a different part of the cave. Um, I wanted to make sure that we expanded the world of what of what Hatchet 3 was. I wanted to make sure it felt bigger and that no matter where we pointed that lens, because I changed the aspect ratio to 240 because the other ones are like 69. Um, basically, I wanted to be able to point the camera anywhere and just get a really cinematic like vibe. And I wanted to make sure Victor Crowley felt darker. I yeah. wanted him to like be more contrast lighting, fire lit. I wanted him to be like scarier in that in that world. So that's kind of like my approach on like when I did that. Yeah, you definitely accomplished that for sure. You know what I mean? Uh, I yes. know that you you toured in a punk band as a youth, right? I did. Yeah, I heard about this. So you know, there's a lot of crossover with music and film. I realize, you know, uh, just that whole world. You know what I mean? Do you think there's any part of that touring that prepared you for getting into filmmaking? It's funny because I started making films as a when I was a kid because of my grandfather. Me and my friends, like when we were really young, would make like all these stupid like action movies with like the VHS camera, and we'd re- we'd have the two VCRs and we'd hit play and record real quick oh, and like yeah. try to edit that way. It was like the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But we had fun. You know, we had, I think everybody did that back then. It's our age. Like, it's just yeah. like, it was so hard to do. And it's always like, you know, it's, it's, it was fun. Yeah. Um, but I, I seriously, like, I strayed off of that when I got really into the music scene. And I, and I kind of quit making home movies. I was always taking photos and stuff on tour. But I got into the punk band and we started touring. And we, like, we were always touring for, like, five, six years we were doing that. We were putting out albums. I, I knew how to... I knew what it was like to tour. I knew what it was like to record albums. I knew like, like when you bicker with your bandmates over like certain ideas in your songs. Um, 
And when that dream went down the hill, whoo, uh, which is a bummer. I, I wish I still want to be a rocker. <laughs> it's too late for me. Uh, I, I, I said, screw this. I'm moving to California and I'm going to try to pursue, you know, a career in directing and filmmaking. And that's what I did. You know, that's, and I left and, and jumped back into it. But I do think for things like the music videos and the reason why I get to, you know, play around with these cool bands and, 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 and like work with the Foo Fighters and stuff is because in a movie like this, I feel like if you don't understand what it's like to be a part of these things, if you don't know what it's like to tour, if you don't know what it's like to record or be in a room with your buddies and doing all stuff, you, you, you don't really get the, the real vibe. And I think we capture that more because I actually have, I went through it. I've been through it. Yeah. Bands are tough. You know what I mean? Like, oh. Even when you're friends and everybody's cool, there's always like clashes of opinions oh. go sometimes, oh. you know what I mean? It's like, it's amazing that bands actually stay together all the time. So like, especially the, like, especially like the Foo Fighters, if you like that, it's over, over like 30 years or whatever. It's like, yeah. you know, there's, it's, it's because you have to love the people you're around all the time. When you're stuck in a small van with people and you're on tour, I mean, it doesn't take long for tensions to start to fly because people start getting irritated. Right. You know? And it's, it, I mean, I remember like, Real quick story, like we we were in our van, we were tired, we had to stop, and I'll never forget me and the drummer up in the bunk, and other oh, guitar player was on a seat, and our other guitar player was snoring so bad. We we're like, dude, you gotta get out of here, and he got so mad, he took his he took his sleeping bag out, and he ran out. And I remember like visually, like looking out the front windshield, and we were at one of those rest stops, yeah, you know, like on the side of the fir- of the freeway, and he went and he laid on a picnic table, and I, I remember looking at my my buddy Jody being like. Oh man, I feel bad that Andrew's actually out there sleeping outside, but he's, he's just snoring. And Joey's like, I can't sleep. He's snoring. I'm like, all right. And I just kind of watched it. It's like the timers went off and all these sprinklers started going off on Andrew. <laughs> and you could see like the, you see the sleeping bag going all over the place. And, he, and, and we started dying laughing. He comes stomping in the car and he gets in, he goes, ah, screw it. We're driving to the next city. And then he just was up and just driving us. It was just like moments like that. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> so dumb. That'd be perfect for a movie. Oh, dude, I could do a ridiculous punk rock movie about crazy touring stuff. Did you ever, did you ever see Green Room? I love Green Room. It, it actually, the, the the thing about that movie, yeah, it is not far off of the truth of something that could really happen because me and my guys wound up in some very gnarly <laughs> venues because we would have someone book them for us, like a booking agent, and then we would show up to like honestly, like. I'm not going to say I haven't played at one of those kind of venues because we didn't know what we were getting into, but your booking agent's like, oh, punk rock bands like to play here, and you show up, and you're like, ooh, this isn't good, man. Yeah. You know, and then you're just like, let's play the set and get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I related really, like, pretty heavily with Green Room because it's, there's a lot of truth into that, into, into that whole thing, you know. Yeah. I thought it was a really well-made movie, especially, like, involving a punk band that's, like, unfortunately winds up in, like, a, sh- a really bad place. Yeah, for sure. No, that was a masterpiece. I loved it. I love anything that guy does. He's a great director. Jeremy Blue Ruin is so good. Yeah, Jeremy Solander. Yeah, so um, Blue Ruin. Did, did you just say Blue Ruin? Love Blue Ruin. Fantastic. Even the the winter one he did it for Netflix was really good yeah, too. Really good. He's really great. I really I really like his stuff. So with uh, Whitney Cummings, you know, she was, you know, very beautiful, very funny. You know, how'd she kind of come into the mix from the comedy world? She was another one of Dave's uh, hires because they actually know each other from the past. Okay. And when we, when we were reading the script, we were just like, you know, we were like, all right, who's going to play this? And he's, you know, we're like, you know, Whitney Cummings is going to be like, she would be perfect for this role because she's just yeah. so fun. And it is that whole thing where we knew she could do a lot of good improv. So it's going to mix well with the guys. And that's how she really came into the fold. We were, you know, again, 
she was a blast to work with. Everybody's laughing. You know, it's amazing we made our days because everybody was laughing so hard and a lot of ADR had to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looked like a lot of fun was had on set. You know what I mean? Oh, it was, it was killer. You got that Lionel Richie cameo, which was oh, yeah. magnificent. You know what I mean? That was great. Oh, he's, he's, he's awesome. He was a champ. A trooper, you know what I mean? A very funny scene, you know. It's I, I want people to come away with this interview knowing that it's a really fun film. Yeah, you that's know what it. I mean? That, you know, it's uh, – when making a film like that, I feel like there's, there's, there's situations – in in the mixture that could the ball could be dropped or something might not come off the way that it should and yeah. I thought that this was really well executed like all the way around you know what I mean for like well, what that. All right, no problem man. no problem yeah I mean, we had a great crew that's the thing too like, yeah. like a lot of people that assembled for this job were not like they were really good craftsmen at what they did they were really good friends most almost everybody on that set I kind of knew because my past is a crew member which I'm still also a crew member yeah but I uh you know. I've met so many people along the way. And, and, and my whole thing is if you surround yourself with like the best people you can, it takes a lot of stress off of you because you know, the job's going to get done. Yeah. Um, and the, and in the end, like I had people come up to me daily being like, BJ, like this is like the best time I've had on set. Like it's been so many years. All we do is laugh and it's so enjoyable, the positivity and everybody's just having a good time. And that's what we set out to do. We, we set out to make a fun movie for people to drink and, and, and throw on at a party and have a good time and just laugh. I mean, that's, that was the goal of this film. And I think we did it. I think so, man. We, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, you're a super talented, you're a super talented (laughs) dude. You know, the the formula that you, that you followed to get to where you are, I think is something that anybody on the upcome, you know, the come up, we'll flip it can kind of appreciate and almost blueprint a little bit. You know what I mean? I think, uh, you're doing it, baby. You're doing it. It's a beautiful thing. I always love seeing that, you know? I think it's important for anybody that wants to work in films, like just getting to that point. I think it's important for people to actually get an onset experience and learn the crafts of just not, you know, of what the makeup artist does, even down to craft services to set security, like just knowing, you know, what the grips do, what the electrics do. It's, it's very vital for, for, for people to learn a set etiquette because it's going to make you better at what you do. Yeah. You know, some people that get out of like film school and they just go and try to get right into directing and things like that. And, and say, sometimes it's great. So, but it's a lot of times, and I've done some films where they're just like, you know, they're like rolling, you know, wild sound. And, and then the person will be like, what do you mean wild? What is wild sound? What's that? And everyone's going, shh, shh. What? And, and then like, here's <laughs> like, and they get done. They go, no, you have to get like a room tone in case you in editing, you need to get a solid room tone. Yeah. It's like moments like that. It's kind of funny, but it's the working on a set, is the best film school you can possibly ever, you can't, you can't pay for that. You know, right. you'll get paid to do it if you get on the sets and <laughs> it, it, it's better than any film school you could possibly be in. For sure. That was very wise. We, we, we end the show with one question that we ask everybody. Oh, I love one. these. These are always, these are always the ones that are the doozies that throw me. These are, this will warm, this will warm your heart and make you feel like a hero. That's what this will do. Okay, great. We've got a lot of entertainers that listen to the show, whether it be musicians, comedians, filmmakers, actors, uh, authors, whatever you will. And we usually like to ask people, you know, is there anything you do or advice that you could give to somebody when they're pursuing something and they come to a snag or they come to a weird place where, you know, they're just not, you know, not feeling like quitting, but feeling like they need a little something, a little pep. Do you have any, any advice for those people? 
My advice has always been, you know, don't ever lose focus of what you're trying to do. And if you're passionate about what, where you're trying to go, and even in this career or even music or anything like that, you always have to make sure you're trying to keep going with it and, pers- and pursue what, you, what you're wanting to do. Because I know some people that basically have been like, oh, I want to try to do this thing, but I just can't get away and do, you know, I can't, I can't because I have to take care of this job over here. And then I always tell them, well, look, if you keep doing this job over here, you're never going to get to the thing you're trying to do, you know? And a lot of my friends have actually been like, you're right. And they, and they take that advice and then they end up doing what they want to do. So my whole thing is never give up, never, never stop believing in yourself and always try to make sure that you're pursuing your dreams. Because honestly, you know, dreams do come true if you, if you really want them to, and if you work hard enough at it. And that's, you know, like I, like my whole dream as a kid was becoming, you know, once a rock star, that one didn't come true, (laughs) but I always wanted to be a filmmaker before that. And here I am. Yeah. There you have it. Well, BJ, we thank you for your time. Uh, if you ever, we'd love to have you on the show again. You ever want to come on and promote a film or anything else, you're always more than welcome here. I would love it. Yeah, let's hope it, Let's hope I get another film going for that. Oh, yeah. Good luck with the rest of, you know, the theatrical life of it. And when it goes to streaming and DVD, Blu-ray and all that. And uh, the film's really good. Everybody get out there and check it and support it. No matter when you're hearing this, if you can go to theaters, go to theaters. It's a theater movie. Support can, small horror. Support yeah, small horror, guys. Support, yes, support horror, please, people. Um, everybody's always complaining about horror. Go support a good one. And this is a good one. You know what I mean? Definitely. Good time. No, I appreciate All right. Have a good one. Thank you. We'll talk soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was another fantastic episode of the Cast. We want to thank the superb, always great, BJ McDonald for uh, coming on the show and giving us an exclusive look at Studio 666 in theaters now. Uh, It'll be streaming and on Blu-ray DVD release probably in the next, I'd say, couple of months. They pump them out pretty quick nowadays, I think. There's no big... I remember you had to wait a year before you'd get movies on DVD and Blu-ray. Now they pump them out quicker, which is beautiful and good for you folks out there that haven't made it out to theater to see that film. You know what I mean? Um, We're telling you now, you should go check it out. Um, and enjoy it and love it. It's good times. Foo Fighters, you know, I remember, uh, I remember when the Foo Fighters popped off, you know what I mean? Dave Grohl came from Nirvana, huge Nirvana fan. That first, uh, that first Foo Fighters album was classic, you know what I mean? And then they, they get better even the further they go and the hits go on for days, you know what I mean? Uh, very fantastic. And, yeah, again, we want to thank BJ for being on the show. We wish him a lot of success with the film and more in the future. And uh, we'll get him back on the show. And uh, thank you, David, for help setting this up. And we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Now, everybody, go drink some holy water after saying the title of the movie. <laughs> Oh yeah, peace. Peace, good.